0: As you're being seated, you can open up your Bibles to the book of Romans. It's in your bulletin. The notification went out on our app this week. But Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 14, and we're going to go through verse 17. And yeah, this is kind of a single paragraph in the middle of a larger discourse that Paul is writing and I think to ultimately do justice to the book of Romans, you'd have to start preaching in Romans 1, and you'd have to go all the way through the book and preach it in its entirety in one setting, and I'm not prepared to do that, and I don't believe you're probably prepared to hear that. But as we come to the book of Romans, as Cody mentioned last week, one of, one of the most theologically rich books in Scripture if if you can just go back in time and be reminded of the individuals who heard The book of Romans being read aloud and the movement of God in their hearts and how it drew them unto salvation and a salvation that comes through Christ alone and his work on the cross and his being raised from the dead because he was the perfect sacrifice through our faith in that alone, by the grace of God alone, as he worked all of that out for our good, for our blessing and our benefit. But he did all of that because he loved us. Not because we deserved it. And as you come to Romans chapter 10, it's just past Romans chapter 9. Romans 9 has this big kind of influence in a lot of our spheres of thinking. And as we... Read Romans chapter 9. We see that God is a sovereign God. And He is calling those He has chosen unto salvation. And we see the great, wonderful, beautiful doctrine of election laid out for us there. But then we come to Romans chapter 10. And in the midst of just hearing the sovereignty of God... We hear of the great responsibility of man. And we we have to hold these two things closely together. That God is sovereign and He is in control. And yet we are responsible for our own actions and our own choices. We can't blame God for where we stand without Him. But yet we can't claim responsibility for those of us who stand with Him two beautiful doctrines held closely together that really are not enemies, but wonderful friends that work in perfect harmony as God ordained it to be. When we come to Romans chapter 10, we see Paul laying out his heart for his people. We see Paul laying out his heart for the lost. We see Paul laying out his heart for those who desperately need to hear. And laying out for them the truth of how it is that they might come to know God. That they might enter into a relationship with the sovereign God of the universe. And how that relationship might change them forever and the responsibility that comes with That wonderful relationship. So he starts chapter 10 with this statement. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Before we ever get to chapter 10 verse 14, we've got to go back to 10 verse 1. Because what chapter 10 verses 14 through 17 is going to tell us is that each one of us has the responsibility to verbally communicate the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world around us. That living a good life is wonderful, but if you don't take the time to speak the truth of the gospel to those who desperately need to hear, then they will not hear Your life, as good as it might be, does not explain to someone how they might know Jesus. You just look like another good person. And there are a lot of good people out there in the world who are running after something besides God. So we come to Romans chapter 10, verse 1, and it takes a look at the very heart of the matter. Why do we do what we do? Paul's heart's desire and his prayer to God is that they might be saved. As we walk in our circles, as we go out today, as we see the individuals that we see, as we run into people at the grocery store and the gas station, and this coming week at work or at school... Is your heart's desire, is your prayer to God for them to be saved? Is that what we long for? Is that what we're hoping for? Is that what we're striving for? Is that what we're doing everything in our life to bring about? It's their salvation. Are we broken for those that God is calling us to be broken for? Because you see, if we're we're following after God, and His desire is to see the world come to know Him, then our desire must be to see the world come to know Him. And when that comes together, it's our heart's desire, and it's God's desire, and it's our prayer to God, and it's God acting on the behalf of our prayers, as we go out into the world to take the truth of the gospel. It is God working through us because our heart's desire is given to us by Him. And our prayers are answered only by Him. But I'm afraid that in most of our circles, in most of our churches, in most of our lives, we really just don't care. We really just don't care if the person sitting next to us at work dies and goes to hell or spends eternity with God. If the person that we pay every week at the gas station dies and goes to hell or spends eternity with God. This is what we've got to come back to, is a desire to see the world. Come to know God. You see, at the beginning of every year, we preach through our vision and our core values. And this year, we're doing something slightly different. Last week, Cody preached about his dream for Iron City. And I'll tell you that that works in conjunction with you and all of us working together. And this week, we start a value of emphasis, which is dine with sinners. It's the way we see the gospel going out, disciples being made, the lost and dead coming to faith and coming to life. Because you see, whatever else has been taught, we believe in a discipleship, kingdom-focused gospel. And we don't believe that evangelism and discipleship are too, are. are separate sides of a train track. We don't believe that they're separate oars in a boat. We believe they're one. Because if our discipleship doesn't have evangelism in it, it's not truly discipleship. And if our evangelism is not built on the premise of discipleship, then it's not really biblical evangelism. The two are one, and we've tried to separate them out for far too long. We need to bring them back together in unity and harmony. Just like God's sovereignty and free will work together. Evangelism and discipleship are not different. They're the same. They're seeing lost come to know God. Lives transformed. And multiplying themselves out. On and on and on and on. And so Paul lays out... What it is that he is longing for them to do when he says to be saved. He's longing for them to come to the truth of the gospel of God. And he gets down to the heart of the matter in verse 8: says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if we confess, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the gospel and the gospel is the power of God whereby men must be saved. So then we come to Romans chapter 10 verse 14. Stand with me as we read this text together. God's Word says, How then will they call upon Him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news! But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what we have heard, What He has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. May God add His blessing to the reading and the hearing of His Word. You may be seated. As we come to this text, and as we come to this point in the life of our church... I want you to understand that as we walk into an emphasis on dining with sinners, that is in direct correlation and direct connection with every single one of our core values and our vision. If our vision is to see maturing and multiplying disciples to the ends of the earth for the glory of God, and that is our vision, then it has to engage the lost people with the truth of the Word of God, it can 't just be about believers and stop right there, or it never goes on, it never continues if we 're going to see this maturing and multiplying, the multiplication is those who are dead in their trespasses of sin coming to life through the proclamation of the Word of God into their lives, and then we start with the word our proclamation of the Word of God, the Gospel of God, has to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. If it is not biblically centered and God-focused and it will go astray in a heartbeat and there are a dozen false Gospels out there that you might believe in but that will never get you to an eternity with God. We're not all getting to God on the mountain through various paths. Jesus says He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through Him. There is one gospel. There is one God. There is one salvation. There is one baptism. And there is only one way to come to know Him. Not a multitude. And so we start with the Word. We ground everything there. And then we love one another. John 13, 35 says, They'll know you by the love you have for one another. The love you have for me. Our reaching the lost world around us starts with loving one another. Because if we go out into the lost world and we offer them something that we claim to be hope and something that we claim to be love and something we claim to be good, and we can't even come into the church and get along with one another, then they don't want any part of it because they don't believe what we're saying over here. Our dining with sinners, our taking the gospel to the lost, starts with our love for one another. Putting others first. Because if I can't put you first in the congregation that God has told me and called me to be a covenant member of, then how in the world am I going to put some lost person who is against everything I stand for first in my life to take the gospel of God to them? It begins with us loving one another. And it begins with us being intentional, rolling up our sleeves, getting out to the word. God has called us to a task, and that task is mighty. But you know what? He says the harvest is plentiful. What does he say then? Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers into the harvest. Workers. We've got a job to do, and it's time we get busy doing it. But if we're going to do that, we're going to have to roll up our sleeves and dive in with everything that we have. And then... the the value of emphasis this year dining with sinners. We're going to have to get out of our comfort zone and go meet the lost and dying where they are. Go find them. Go talk to them. Not invading their Tuesday night dinner at 6 o'clock or 6.30, but asking them to our house for dinner taking them to eat, engaging them where we meet them and where we see them at work, at the store, at the ball field, at practice, at school, whatever it is, wherever it is, engaging the lost where they are so that they might see Christ through us. And then all of that when a lost person who is dead in their trespasses to sin comes to new life in Jesus Christ, if that does not bring honor and glory to God, I do not know what does. When the angels rejoice over one coming to know Him, I believe that that brings honor and glory to God. And so in that, we want to glorify God in the way that we see people come to know Him. then we come to Paul. And Paul confronts the fact that people are saying we can come to the gospel without the word of God. That people can come to God without the word of God is, is a lie. It's false. I don't care who's saying it. It doesn't matter what books they've written. It's just not the truth. Because it goes directly against what the word of God says. Now, there are some gray areas in Scripture. If you want to talk about gray areas, that's fine with me. And we can talk about those as long as you want to talk about them. But when it's black and white, directly given to us by God, we have to accept the Word of God as truth and nothing else. He says, how will they call on Him? They have not believed. What's he talking about? You know, he doesn't just start there. He's already laid out the gospel for us. But if you go back one verse to verse 13, he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is, this is the statement he's making. is that If they call on the name of the Lord, they're going to be saved. So how in the world are they going to call on the name of the Lord? What has to happen in order for that to take place? We know that the Spirit has to move in their lives. That's John 6. We know that God has to be active in calling them to Himself. That's biblical. But we also know that God chose to work through us to take the Word of God to those who need to hear. So, How will they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? If we want to see the lost come to know God, then preaching must take place. And as much as I love standing behind this podium, and what I would term the sacred desk, and proclaiming the truth of God's Word to a congregation just like you, That's not all he's talking about here. That's not all he's talking about because when he gets into this, the Greek word for preaching comes down to keruso. And it ultimately means proclaim, to proclaim, to herald. You know, before mass media, one of the ways that the news got out was in the printed form. Right? And if you remember what would happen is they would take the papers and they would set, set them out, and they would proclaim the news, and people would come and buy the paper to get more details. Well, even before that, the news came from the herald, the one who would proclaim the news to those who had gathered, the one who would proclaim the news to those who were able to hear. So they were proclaimers. And what Paul is telling the Roman church and what he is reminding us as we read this letter is it was not just intended for them, but it was also intended for God's people right now today. The Word of God must be proclaimed. You are called to be proclaimers of that Word. One of the reasons I read Matthew 28... It's because I wanted you to be reminded of the call that God has placed on your life as a follower of His. That it's not just for the preacher to stand in the pulpit and preach the truth of the gospel. It's for you to stand where you are every single day and to proclaim the truth of the gospel to those around you who so desperately need to hear, who are looking at you because why? You have the answer for eternity. Are you keeping it a secret? You have the answer that they desperately need for life. Are you letting them die? You hold the knowledge of how to come to know God. Teach them. Share it with them. Proclaim it to them. Stand up and raise your voice and let them hear. You know, it's attributed to one of the saints. It's not an actual factual statement that he said it. Unfortunately, it's been attributed to his name for quite some time. Preach the gospel every day and use words when necessary. My Bible tells me that if I'm going to preach the gospel, words are necessary. Every time. My life needs to match the words that I speak. They need to be in line with the truth of the gospel so that I'm not doing something to stir someone and turn someone away from the truth of the gospel by my actions. But my actions are not enough. You know, when's the last time your good deeds expressed to someone that they had to call upon the name of the Lord? When's the last time your good deeds demonstrated to someone that they must repent and believe. When's the last time your good deeds told the full story of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it saved you from the depths of hell? They never have. They never have. But you do have the word of God and the power of God to share with those who desperately need to hear. So be proclaimers, because they're not going to hear unless you tell it. What I know is that each one of you has more interaction with lost people in a week than I do probably in a month or two months. You know, when I come to work every day, it is a privilege to work in a group of people who are born-again followers of Christ. And that's awesome. But I've worked other places. And I understand there are a lot of lost people out there. They may live and lead good American lives. But they're lost. And they need you to tell them about Jesus. They need to hear the truth about God from you. Because the truth is... They're never going to walk in this door, sit in this seat, and listen to Cody or myself or John or one of our other elders proclaim the truth of God's word to them. Not unless you share. Not unless you invite them in. Not unless you engage them with the gospel. If they don't hear... They'll never believe. They'll never believe who Jesus is. They'll never believe that He died on a cross. They'll never believe that He lived a perfect life. They'll never believe that the Son of God left heaven and did not see equality with God as something to be grasped, but left heaven and came down to be born as a man and live here among us. They'll never hear that. They'll never believe that if we don't tell them. If they never believe that, they'll never come to the point in their lives where they know they can't do anything for themselves. They'll never come to the point in their lives when they know they're desperately needing a Savior. They'll never come to the point in their lives when they realize that they can't do it and they fall down upon their knees and cry out to God, Save me! They'll never call upon the name of the Lord. And they'll never be saved. brothers and sisters in Christ, that should scare us to death. There are people in our lives right now who've never heard us tell them the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And because of that, never having heard, they'll never believe. Because they will never believe They'll never call upon the name of the Lord. And because they'll never call upon the name of the Lord, they'll never be saved. We need to feel the weight of that responsibility. Brothers and sisters, this is not to guilt us, to condemn us. This is to point out the truth of what God has said to us. And let that weigh on our hearts and on our minds. And know that God has placed on us a responsibility. A call upon our lives to be used by Him. I want you to understand that there is grace today. There is grace at the foot of the cross you know what? Most of us, including the man that I look at every day in the mirror, have not done a great job at proclaiming the gospel to those who desperately need to hear. And we need to just seek forgiveness for that. And there's forgiveness to be had. Because that's the beauty of the gospel is that there is forgiveness out there to be had. But listen to what he says. He says, continuing there in verse 15, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet. What perfect timing has happened by those proclaiming the good news. Paul, really, what he's he's referring back to here is when the Babylonian captivity was over and the heralds came into uh, Jerusalem and they came to proclaim the good news that Israel was free. Scripture says how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the freedom that God has brought upon His people. Even more so, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim freedom from sin. Those who proclaim freedom from all of the things that Satan binds us with. Those who proclaim life over death. How beautiful are the feet of those who take and preach and proclaim the gospel of the good news. But not everyone who hears is going to obey. But God didn't call us and challenge us and task us with the result. God gave us a command of obedience and faithfulness. That if we would do what He says to do, proclaim the gospel to those who desperately need to hear, then He would work in the lives that were there. And He would draw men and women and boys and girls to Himself as He saw fit. The results are not our responsibility. Obedience is. Isaiah even asked, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? You know, they didn't believe when they were told that Israel was free from the Babylonian captivity. Those that were there found it hard to believe. It had been so long. It had been so horrible. They found it hard to believe. And those even now who hear the truth of the freedom that is offered in the gospel of God find it hard to believe. But let me tell you, if you don't know the freedom that is found in the gospel, you don't know freedom. freedom from sin freedom from freedom from all of the the bindings of satan freedom from death freedom to live freedom to glorify god freedom to worship him freedom to love him free to be his child and he ends this section saying so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ Each one of us has been called to proclaim the truth of God's word to those who need to hear. In Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him, they saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had, who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. You know, we live in a time where joy is kind of scarce. We live in a time where worry and anxiety is growing by leaps and bounds. The studies tell us that today's children under the age of 18 have more anxiety and worry in their lives than adults did in the 50s. If we want to see joy, come to our town. If we want to see joy, come to our community if we want to see joy overwhelm our church and our lives and our schools and our cities and our states and our nation and the world, then we must proclaim widely and loudly the only thing that's going to bring joy into this dark, destructive, devastating, gloom and doom world. And that is Christ and Him crucified. That is the gospel of God. That is repent and believe and call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And that salvation will change you forever. So as we look at what to do with this text, if you're a member of Iron City Baptist Church, That means that you're a professing follower of Christ. You have a responsibility to take that proclamation, that message to those around you who need to hear. Share the gospel. Take it with you everywhere you go. Proclaim the good news so that they can hear and they can believe and they can call upon the name of the Lord and that they can be saved. If you're not a member of Iron City Baptist Church and you're a follower of Christ, you have the same responsibility. Take the gospel with you. If you're sitting here today, and maybe this is the first time you've ever heard part of the gospel. Maybe this is the first time you've heard that I had to repent and believe, that I have to believe in who Jesus Christ is, that it's by faith that I can come to know God. In just a moment, when we offer a hymn of invitation, you come. Let me share with you what the gospel says, what the gospel does what the gospel can do in your life. If God is stirring in your heart, don't hesitate to move. And for those of you who've been faithful, take the gospel with you everywhere you go. Praise God. And then find another brother and sister who you can encourage to do the same. The gospel only goes by your word. The gospel didn't come to you to rest solely in your life alone. Matter of fact, what Robbie Gallagher says is very true. The gospel came to you on its way to someone else. Are you letting it get there? Let us pray.